0: Hi, I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Zach Luna. This year, Spider-Man finally joins the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Spider-Man Homecoming. But 15 years ago, the friendly neighborhood webhead hit the big screen for the first time ever. Introducing
1: Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the Spider-Man movies one
0: minute at a time. Starting with Sam Raimi's web-slinging debut, we discuss everything from genetically engineered super spiders to wall-crawling heroics. Join us as we navigate the great power and great responsibility behind every single minute of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Spider-Man Minute, available at DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Dueling Genre. Everyone, and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski and I'm Todd Mack and this week we're discussing Flavia DeLuce from the novel sweetness at the bottom of the pie by Alan Bradley and it must be noted Flavia DeLuce is a fantastic name for a character.
0: <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. One like... of my favorite names
1: of any of the 100 plus characters we've
0: talked about so far. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and just one of many things to love about this novel.
1: So uh, the sweetness at the bottom of the pie is a murder mystery that is set in the English countryside in 1950. The main character is an 11 year old amateur chemist by choice and amateur detective by necessity when her father is suspected of murder by poisoning. So good.
0: And her specialty is poisons.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, I love Flavia Deluce so much. Uh, but first,
0: how did we come to this novel, which I am going to guess a high percentage of our listeners have never heard of? And it's a shame that they have not because it's amazing. I had never heard of it. I read it on your recommendation. So I'll let you say how you came to it.
1: I came to it because I was listening to the podcast called Writing Excuses, which is a group of published authors who talk about writing uh, techniques and, and tips for authors and all sorts of really uh, great information about the writing process. And even if you don't want to be an author, I would recommend listening to writing excuses because it makes you more knowledgeable about story and structure and what writers are doing. Um, But at the end of every episode, they make a recommendation and they recommended sweetness at the bottom of the pie and gave a brief description about it being an 11 year old girl detective um and i was like well we have to cover that one <laughs> and i put it on the list for us to get to
0: yeah the audible version is narrated by a woman named jane Entwistle. and Twistle. and it's another she- one of those names that might give you pause before you say it out loud he's amazing uh it's it's fabulous really really great um narration
1: and I started to do a little more research into this book for the trivia section, and I came to love it even more as I found out the backstory behind its uh, its production and, and publishing. So, we know it's written by Alan Bradley. He is a Canadian writer, and he had published sh- short stories and a couple memoirs, but he really wanted to publish a novel. And his wife heard about a contest called the Debut Dagger Competition, in which per- prospective writers submit one chapter and a novel uh, synopsis. And then judges say which ones are the best. And, you know, you can win the prize. And uh, just note, I found all of this on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but he submitted the first chapter of this novel, though he had not written the rest of it. And it was actually, um, he submitted this because he was working on another project. And his wife said, you should write a book about the girl on the stool." from this other story there was a girl on a bar stool i don't know what the other story was there were no more details he's like yeah i should just do a whole novel about her she's more interesting than this other story i'm writing so he wrote a first chapter and came up with the synopsis submitted that and uh two different judges contacted his agent about securing the publishing rights for the novel and that's when he accidentally learned that he had won the competition (laughs) (laughs) Um And there was a bidding war from different publishers And eventually the rights were secured By Doubleday for Canadian Publishing And Bantam Books for American Publishing And then, this is the part that charmed me so so much At age 69 Alad Bradley went to the country His novel was set in for the first time When he traveled to London to accept his Dagger debut award That's right, he's a 69 year old Debut novelist with sweetness at the bottom of the pie Wow He, he was born before World War II <laughs> he, Amazing he was, he was born the year Superman was created uh, so his debut novel was published in 2009 uh, And All I want to say about that is Hey listeners if you are trying to write And just hitting your head against the publishing wall And can't get it done just keep going You never know what is going to be that moment when your novel actually gets published. Don't give up. Um, six books in the Flavia Deleuze series have been published since then, and he has announced plans for it to be a 10-book series. And the books have been optioned for a series of TV movies, but none have been produced yet. And I kind of hope they do get produced and that they cast the perfect 11-year-old British actress to be Flavia Deleuze.
0: I'm not going to say this about everything, but I would not mind at all if we just slated for the next 10 years. To do one of these books a year because <laughs> I like the, I love this book so much. It was really good. The only other
1: series that we've really returned to with any regularity is Harry Potter, and we've done two of them.
0: We've done two Harry Potter. And we've
1: done two, two Star Wars films.
0: Two Star Wars films, and we did uh we did The Hobbit, and then we did uh, the Fellowship of the Ring film.
1: Okay. So we we have dabbled in continuing series, but uh, I will go ahead and drop the whatever the next book in the series is called into next year, sometime next year, in the novel slot in our in our
0: schedule. I re- because I mean there's only so much time, and I really want to <laughs> read the next book in the series, and uh, so I think we should just pencil it in.
1: When it comes to our um, our free time reading, it's usually whatever we're we're discussing next. <laughs> yeah. So if we want to read the next book in the series. We may need to get it on the schedule. Yep. Listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash protagonist. And you can support our show with at least a $1 per month uh, donation so the way patreon works you set a donation amount and each month we get uh that and it helps to support us in uh getting access to the materials we're going to cover and uh with some of the just costs associated with being podcasters and all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and all patrons who support us with a five dollar per month Uh, or more pledge we don't you know the upper end is unlimited on that uh you get to choose a topic for us to discuss
0: awesome uh are you ready
1: i am ready for your synopsis of sweetness at the bottom of the pie
0: okay it's actually been a couple of weeks since i since i did this so yes Um,
1: we uh (laughs) we had to push back the recording a couple times yeah
0: okay Flavia de luce i'll just say it again She's quite simply one of my favorite protagonists in a very long time. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe of all, the, of all the characters we've talked about. Um, so she's 11 years old. She's a very accomplished amateur chemist. Her specialty is poisons. And she lives with her father and her two sisters, Ophelia, who is older and obsessed with appearances, and Daphne, who is obsessed with books. Her mother, Harriet, was an adventurer and was lost in, like, a mysterious climbing accident in the in the Himalayas when Flavia was very, very young. So Flavia never knew her, Can, her mother.
1: Producer Andrew has a question. I w
0: two things. One Go for it. Already? I've always loved I've always
1: loved in stories when a person's profession was adventurer. Yes. <laughs> I love that on like on like dossiers in, in comic books about like the Fantastic Four. Occupation. Adventurers. It's like <laughs> I want that occupation. They don't let yeah. you major in that in college. <laughs> And then two, when you say she specializes in poisons, is that um investigation or preparation? preparation. Reading of and of. yeah, she knows Pre- preparing poisons. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, she she loves to read chemistry books. She well, What does she
0: prepare them for? She just well, likes Well, so like to play one of the them. one of the jokes that I don't really get into here is she's always her she and her sisters are constantly at each other's throats about things. And she steals Ophelia's lipstick, uh, and then she, she melts it completely <laughs> down, and she mixes it with a poison that she makes out of poison ivy, and then she reconstitutes the lipstick case inside of a bullet casing, and puts it back in the lipstick thing, dispenser.
1: So it's the right shape for lipstick.
0: Right, and then and then puts it back in her sister's drawer. And then, and then she keeps a, a like a, a a research journal, and so each day she'll say, "No change. Maybe, maybe I haven't got the the thing right. You know, like the the right yeah, the balance, uh, the balance. It's too yeah. too little poison." <laughs> and so it takes a long time because Ophelia is all emotion, and she lashes out immediately, and um, and Flavia is all about patience and. And so she does she she gets back at her sister but it takes a long time for the poison to take its effect but then when it does then, then Ophelia has these giant swollen lips and it's <laughs> she's really but she's into like hardcore poisons. Um one of my favorite quotes is oh do I have it here? No, I didn't write it down. It's um if poisons were if poisons were racehorses, my bet would be on cyanide. Like she <laughs> She knows about
1: the pace that these affect humans and things. Right.
0: Anyway, she's amazing. Um, The real charm of this book is Flavie's kind of cheeky narration, which you unfortunately unfortunately won't get with my summary. You just have to read the book. Trust me. Or listen to it on Audible. Please read this book or listen to it on Audible. I'll try to stick to the central plot, although the details aren't uh, really that critical. And I will say it's about an 11-year-old girl. She has a propensity for... um, like mild cursing, uh, so anyway, it's it's definitely, I would say, like junior high material, <laughs> easily. Um, so here we go. This is
1: not Nancy Drew and the Clue Crew level mystery no. solving.
0: No, no. Um, so one morning, a dead bird shows up on the DeLuce's back doorstep. It's a jack snipe, and it has a stamp, like a postage stamp, skewered on its beak. And Flavia's father is obviously frightened by the bird, but he tries to hide it. That night, Flavia overhears him arguing with a strange red-haired man in his office. Their gardener, Dogger, finds her there and encourages her to leave the situation alone. But not before Flavia hears her father mention to the, re- her father mention to the red-haired man that they had killed someone called Twining when they were young. This is obviously a shock to, uh, to Flavia. Early the next morning, Flavia's in the garden, and she finds that same red-haired man dying in her garden. And as as he's dying, she goes close to him, and he kind of grabs her and pulls her close. And he says with his last dying breath, vale, which in Latin means farewell. And so she calls the police, and they, spend, they send an inspector named Hewitt. And Flavia is terribly curious about everything, and she's very smart, and she wishes she could help solve the murder— Uh, even though she's kind of afraid that her father might actually be the murderer because she had just seen her father arguing with this guy like hours before he ends up dead in their garden. Um, But the only clue that the police have initially is that the man was recently in Norway. So rather than sit around and do nothing, which is exactly what the police want her to do, she rides into uh, into, into town to the library on her bicycle called Gladys Uh, to see if she can dig up the history of her father when he was a schoolboy at, uh, like, a boarding school that's near town. Uh, At the library, she finds a newspaper article about the death of Dr. Twining, who, according to record, flung himself to his death from one of the school's towers after shouting out the word, Vale. This is proof to Flavia that the two deaths are connected. And she asks the librarian, Mrs. Mountjoy, if she knew Dr. Twining. Turns out, Twining was Mountjoy's uncle. And Mrs. Mountjoy blames Flavia's father and his friends for Twining's death. Although at this point, she doesn't, um, I think that Mrs. Mountjoy doesn't know that Flavia is her father's daughter. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. So from the library, Flavia rides on Gladys to uh, the town boarding house slash hotel, where a girl named Mary helps her find the room of the only recent boarder in town. So Flavia is thinking, if somebody has killed this guy, maybe it's somebody who's just recently come into town. So, Or no, the the red-haired man must have been staying at the hotel. That's what she thinks. And so she goes to the boarding house, and she finds that the red-haired man was registered at the house as Mr. Sanders. And uh, Flavia goes and sneaks into the room. And in the garbage can, she finds the remains of a pie in which a the jack snipe the bird had been baked so she finds like feathers of the bird inside of the pie and she also finds a couple of stamps and then just as flavia is leaving the boarding house a man named pemberton is arriving and flavia runs out the back door and she kind of escapes when she gets back to her house she finds out that her father has been arrested for the murder of mr sanders at this point she's starting to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together and she realizes that the stamp she found in sanders's room is the key to everything through some genius detective work, she also realizes that the dead man's real name is Horace Bonepenny, and that he was one of her father's friends from school. So she goes to the jail to see her father, but they won't let her see him. So then Flavia just confesses to the murder. She says, fine, if you won't let me see my dad, then I'll just tell you, I killed the guy. <laughs> and Inspector Hewitt is not really convinced by her confession, but he, um, he I think he's kind of impressed by her um uh spunk, spunk. yes <laughs> her spunk thank you <laughs> and so he allows her to talk to her father her father tells him uh, tells her that he didn't commit this murder and then he proceeds to tell her about how he met bone penny um at first they had been friends but then bone penny uh changed they were interested in uh sleight of hand magic and philately which is the study of and collection of stamps and uh of particular interest to her father are these two extremely valuable stamps called the Ulster Avengers of which there are only two in the world and both of which Flavia realizes as she's talking to her father she has in her pocket so the two Ulster Avenger stamps were in uh in Sanders's room are we okay so far
1: I, I um, well I'm following <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> okay so when Flavia's father was young uh he and Be- Bonepenny had convinced their mentor Dr Twining to convince the headmaster of the college, whose name was Dr. Kissing, to show the boys his Ulster Avenger stamp. So he had one, this, this, Dr. Kissing had one Ulster Avenger stamp. And then Bonepenny had done this magic sleight-of-hand trick and stolen the Ulster Avenger from Kissing, and and then apparently destroyed it. And the following day, Dr. Twining, apparently distraught because he had been the cause of the loss of Dr. Kissing's stamp, threw himself off the tower at grayminster the boys school did i explain that okay yeah okay so colonel de Luce feels guilty for the death uh, colonel de luce's uh Flavia's father he feels guilty for the death of twining because he knew that bone penny had stolen the stamp and he had said nothing about it now the only ulster avenger in existence uh, which be- what belonged to king george VI, king jo- the sixth king the king the king of england has just barely recently been stolen and uh, Flavia knows that Bone Penny is the just one who stole. Jumping stolen. to the
1: present day, Flavia's time.
0: Yes, yes. So back in this conversation, Colonel Lewis feels guilty, and then also we find out that the second Ulster Avenger stamp has just recently been stolen from the King of England, and Flavia is convinced that it was Bone Penny who stole it, and um, and that he had come to the house that night to try to blackmail Flavia's father, saying, "I have both Ulster Avenger stamps, and I need you to give me a bunch of money." Et cetera, et cetera. So the next day, Flavia rides Gladys to Greyminster, the the school, and she starts digging around. She climbs up in the, in the tower where Twining had died, and she finds in this little nook an old, old robe that was, like, tucked in and then forgotten. And at first she thinks that it's Twining's robe, but then she remembers that Twining, when he, when he died, when he fell off the tower, uh, he was wearing his robes. And so she realizes that there must have been somebody up uh, in the tower with him. So I should mention... Uh, that Flavia keeps bumping into this guy Pemberton, who was the one that was staying at the boarding house, and then Flavia catches a bad cold, and then Dogger, the gardener, comes to see her, and he tells her that he had seen the stranger, so the red-haired guy, Bone Penny, in the cucumber patch the night of the murder, but right but right after he saw him, he was knocked over the head, and he doesn't remember anything until morning. And he's afraid that he might have committed the murder. So so Dogger, the gardener, thinks that he maybe committed the murder because he has this lapse in his memory where he can't remember anything. And he also suffers from PTSD from the war. Uh, and so he often blanks out. So at this point, we get this very he thorough— has
1: violent tendencies at times.
0: Yeah, and we get this very thorough now at this point, Agatha Christie-esque summary of all the possible suspects— but nobody's coming out as a clear favorite. And it doesn't, uh, it isn't helped by the fact that everyone is covering for everyone else, right? So Flavia has taken the blame for the murder for her father. Her father is taking the blame of the murder because he thinks maybe Dogger did it. Dogger uh, is involved in this. Anyway, it's all kind of complicated. So now Flavia goes into the kitchen and she's talking with Mrs. Mullet, who is the cook. And Mrs. Mullet has just told Flavia about how Dogger had saved Flavia's father's life during the war and then uh, and then Flavia says now that we've got this kind of moment of intimacy between me and Mrs. Cullett, I'm just going to come Mrs. Mullett I'm going to come clean and tell Mrs. Mullett that everyone in our family hates her custard pies so she so Mrs. Mullett is kind of a famously bad cook and nobody in the family likes her custard pies especially and then Mrs. Mullett tells her she knows that nobody in the family likes her custard pies, but Harriet Flavia's mother had asked her to regularly make custard pies for her children just to keep them humble. I, I, I think that's awesome. So then Flavia, it's supposed to be humble pie. It's well, humble yeah, pie. so they have right. to, they, they learn to be polite
1: about something they're not enjoying.
0: And it's, it's <laughs> just one more, like the, the presence of the mother is really important throughout this kind of emotionally for, for Flavia and emotionally for her father and she keeps coming up. I hope that in these in these books that continue, we get more about the mother. Um, I really hope so too. I can't imagine that we don't.
1: Just wait next year, listeners. Yes, <laughs> we'll, we'll let we'll you find know. out more.
0: So Flavia <laughs> eventually finds Doctor Kissing, who is the ex headmaster of Greyminster, who had lost his Ultra Avenger, Avenger stamp to Bone Penny, and he's actually even smarter than Flavia, and he's actually he figured he's figured everything out. Um. And Flavia gives him his stamp back, and then he burns it. And that makes the only remaining remaining Ulster Avenger stamp, the one that belongs to the king, doubly valuable, right? So there were only two. Now there's only one. It belongs to the king. Flavia has it in her pocket still. Um, And Flavia now realizes that Mr. Pemberton, who is the stranger that she keeps bumping into, is actually Bob Stanley, who was one of her father's companions from his youth and was Bonepenny's partner in crime. So the... the things start coming together here for her. So she goes to find where Twining was buried. And it's away from the church because he was a suicide, so he couldn't be born, buried in the churchyard. So then everything comes clear to her. Twining did not jump off the tower. He was already dead when he got up there. Bonepenny and Bob Stanley had killed him. And then Bonepenny had shouted, vale! and thrown Twining's body off the tower. And it looked like, like Twining had done it himself. It was Bone Penny's robes that Flavia had found on top of the tower, and she realizes also that Pemberton slash Stanley had killed Bone Penny by injecting him with poison. So there's a lot of there, there's a lot of kind of details throughout all of this, but long story short, sort of short. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this guy Pemberton that she keeps bumping into, his name is actually Stanley, and he's the one that killed Bone Penny by injecting him with poison. So then Pemberton shows up. At the tomb and he wants this last stamp and Flavia lies and tells him she doesn't have it and then just as he attacks her she sneezes on him and it turns out that she had contracted her cold from bone penny who had been sick and breathed when he breathed his last breaths on her so he can she contracted the cold from bone penny and then she sneezes on Pemberton and and then she grabs her handkerchief. And Bone Penny takes it from her and shoves it in her mouth, not realizing that the last Ul- Ulster Avenger stamp, which is what he really wants, is wrapped up inside the handkerchief. And now it's stuffed inside of her mouth, <laughs> safely inside of her mouth. And now he can't find it because it's in her mouth. And then Pemberton takes Flavia to a pit and he leaves her there while he goes to look for the stamp at her house. And when he comes she's back, tied up. she's tied up. It looks like uh, the game is up for her. And Pemberton's going to kill her. And then just then, Dogger shows up, and he knocks out Pemberton, and Flavia is safe. And then later, Flavia is debriefed with a by a very impressed um, Inspector Hewitt. And she gives the stamp to her father, but he insists that she return it to the king, which she does by sending it to him in the mail. Not, like, stamped on the letter, but inside of an envelope. <laughs> and the king writes a, a personal letter back to her, thanking her. The end. Great summary, Todd. So I, I, th- that's the summary. I wanted to read uh, a few of my favorite quotes from this. Okay, yes.
1: This is what I was going to say. I, was, I just said great story, I was going to say, and I mean no offense when I say so much of the charm of this book is in the voice of Flavia's narration.
0: Yes, which is why I think so, maybe, maybe Audible is the best way to read this because the lady does just such an amazing job. But these are the ki- some of the kinds of things uh, that we get in this story. Like like this. I remembered a piece of sisterly advice which uh, Feely, Ophelia. So I remembered a a piece of sisterly advice which Feely once gave Daffy and me. If you're ever accosted by a man, she said, kick him in the Casanovas and run like blue blazes. Although it had sounded at the time like a useful bit of intelligence, the only problem was I didn't know where the Casanovas were located. I'd (laughs) have to think of something else. Or this, seed biscuits and milk. I hated Mrs. Mullett's seed biscuits the way St. Paul hated sin. Perhaps even more so. I wanted to clamber up onto the table and with a sausage on the end of a fork as my scepter shout in my best Lawrence Olivier voice, will no one rid us of this turbulent pastry cook? <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, she says, I, I was me. I was Flavia and I loved myself even if no one else did. And then finally she says, um, oh, I just, I... So there's like funny stuff and then there's also kind of touching stuff like um, when she's talking with her father, she says, here we were, father and I, shut up in a plain little room and for the first time in my life, having something that might pass for a conversation. We were talking to one another almost like adults, almost like one human being to another, almost like father and daughter. Even though I couldn't think of anything to say, I felt myself wanting it to go on and on until the last star blinked out. And it's just a really, really well-written story with a great character. And um that that's what we
1: want to talk about on this podcast.
0: That's exactly what we want to talk about on this podcast. So uh I don't know where do you want to go from here?
1: Um you mentioned Agatha Christie esque and it's funny, a little bit before I listened to this audiobook, I got onto an Agatha Christie kick. Listened really? to Murder on the Orient Express. And I listened to another one. I cannot remember the name of it, but it involved Philatalite <laughs> really (laughs) valuable steps were really important to the plot um and so and i listened to a couple others but uh the way this mystery unfolds definitely reminded me of an agatha christie novel where each suspect you understand their motivations but there's also you know the niggling like they can't have been the one who did it because Mm -hmm. of x right but they could have been the one who did it because of y n z, yes, you know,, uh, and I think it gets set up very well, and it gets explained very clearly throughout the story, um, so in terms of setting up a mystery, it was satisfying. I do think uh who it ends up being, like the one guy that randomly keeps it's showing kind up kind of obvious, yes, I wanted more for his motivation as to why he was there, I agree. right, like like he he kind of sticks out as. Well, every time he shows up, it's kind of like, why not? Yeah. There's a natural reason for me doing exactly what he's doing. So that, if there is a flaw, I would say that's it. But there's so much that I enjoy about this. And the character of Flavio Deleuze is so wonderful. Yeah, I, agree I don't care.
0: It's it's like it's pretty telegraphed that it's, it's not it can't be a surprise to very many readers that Pemberton is the guy uh, right. because of exactly what you said. He shows up and you're like, why is this guy here unless he's the killer? So I, I mean I guess he could have turned out to be I don't know. It could have turned out to be nothing. That would have been a surprise. Um mm-hmm. but <laughs> but uh, it, and there there were, there were some parts in the story where it, it felt like mechanically it wasn't like it 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 was close to Agatha Christie, but it's not exactly Agatha Christie who was the best that there's ever been at doing this. Um and this is this guy's first novel, so, you know, he gets a pass. Especially for ha- <laughs> after having created Flavia de Luce, who like the universe is just a better place because Flavia de Luce exists and um but but yeah, mechanically, I felt like as a as a mystery as a like a detective mystery um it it wasn't the strongest mystery story I've ever read
1: yeah, like i I feel like it's sound except for that one squeaky part, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know,
0: but that, for me just the doesn't quite and strongly. the car and the character of Flavia. Like, way more than make up for any any lacking in the, the mechanics of the story.
1: Yeah. And when we say that there's going to be this 11-year-old precocious detective, I, I think there's probably a percentage of our audience who might roll their eyes. Like, we've seen the precocious child done.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: knows more than they should. But I think there's excellent work done to establish why she's an expert in chemistry. Yes. You know, why, why this is a thing that she loves and that she's engrossed herself in. And if you know 11-year-olds, they're not well-rounded geniuses and everything. But if there's something they love, they could be an expert in that thing, more so than most adults around
0: them. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, um, I guess we can say what the background is. She lives in this huge, like, manor, like a big English mansion house. And she doesn't really have friends. She has these two sisters who they all of the sisters hate each other mostly because they're all just sad because they miss their mother who they didn't ever really know except Ophelia. And kind their of dad her. is a
1: distant figure.
0: He's distant because he served in the war and he's str- struggling with uh, feelings of guilt for what happened when he was young, and so he's and he misses his wife terribly. Every once in a while, he goes and sits in the in her old Rolls Royce and just kind of wallows in, in sadness. So th- there is kind of an emotional depth to this story that I think um, surprised me. Because wh- I heard the same thing. I heard, oh, it's about an 11-year-old girl who's a chemist and she solves mysteries. And I thought, oh, it's going to be, I-, I don't know, like a Judy Bloom novel or something. <laughs> it's or, just... or
1: Nancy Drew, right?
0: Or Nancy yeah. Drew. And it, it's it's neither of those things. It's, it's really sophisticated writing and a great just totally unforgettable character and also this emotional depth. And like I I talked about earlier, this mother Harriet and how her ghost just kind of permeates this story in so many different ways. Um, But so Flavia just wanders around in, in this big house and one of her ancestors had been a real, you know, adult chemist and had a chem lab and she discovers it and she reads all the books and she just teaches herself chemistry by reading all of these interesting books in this chemistry lab. And they have enough money that she can get her hands on, uh, you know, supplies and things. And it's <laughs> so it, it's totally believable that that she would be a chemist. And she's actually a really, a really great chemist.
1: And I think as far as her being an 11-year-old, one of my favorite parts of the book is that the story opens with her tied up and she talks – and it was by one of her sisters, you find out, that t- tied her up as punishment for something that she'd done to the sister, like revenge. Um, But she talks about the tricks she knows to be able to get out of being tied up, right? You know, she presses her thumbs together so her, her wrists are farther apart and these other things that she does to be able to escape. And then when uh Pemberton – captures her and starts to tie her up. You're like, oh, you know, like, oh, well, okay, she's going to escape. But at least they set this up already. But Pemberton's like, <laughs> like I can't remember the description, but it's like, no, this is not my sister tying me up. <laughs> like none of my tricks work. He is, he is rough. He's an adult man. He's strong. He ties her up in a way that she absolutely cannot escape. And even though she tries, like there's a long chapter description of her doing everything trick she knows yeah. and everything she can think of to try and escape. And it doesn't work. So even though on the one hand you have the precocious genius chemist, 11 year old, there's still enough beats that say, no, this is an 11 year old child that it doesn't feel like this is one of those, you know, superhuman aspirational child figures that no one could really be.
0: Yeah. She's not Ender Wiggin. Right. Mm-hmm. She's, <laughs> she's a real, I mean, and Ender feels almost like unreal, right? Like, Nobody is really like that, and Flavia doesn't doesn't feel like that, although she's completely unique. <laughs> it doesn't feel like she could she could not exist um and I like that about her
1: as far as her being like a realistic eleven year old so besides the fact that you know we get these moments like when she's tied up that oh we're reminded very clearly she's a child there are um i think other good parts of the mystery are when she has to go learn things because she is just unexposed to these aspects of the world, you know, or, or these other areas of knowledge. So again, she has this one narrow area where she's smarter than most 11 year olds. And even most adults would be about chemistry, but there's so many other areas where she's got to go ask questions to people who know.
0: Oh, I, okay. I remember what I was going to say. It, it's, um, it's kind of tied into that. And I, I read it somewhere in some review of this book or Wikipedia page or something, but they were talking about that age of 11 years old. And, um, and how kind of invincible you feel when you're eleven and and you're the, the world's kind of becoming open to you and you're you're learning so much uh that you feel like you kind of know everything. And I feel like uh Bradley, it's Bradley, right? <laughs> Alan Bradley. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Bradley really captures that kind of like boundless self confidence. Uh while at the same time letting us know as readers that it's it's kind of largely, I mean, not largely, but in many ways, unfounded, right? Like, she yeah. is supremely confident in her abilities, and then we're given opportunities to see her kind of fail in her abilities. And there's lots of red herrings, and she falls for all of them. She She's convinced that it has something to do with pie, for example, and in the end, it doesn't have anything to do with the pie and and it's nice to see her kind of feel so confident that she's figured this out and then have to take step backwards and say, uh, I don't really know what's going on. And when she does that kind of inventory of all of the possible suspects and she goes, I really don't have any idea who it is. It's this perfect mixture of she's brilliant and a genius to be able to come up with this inventory, but not enough of a genius to actually have solved this thing yet. And when she goes and meets the the headmaster, this old man that's the headmaster, like, that's true genius, right? <laughs> like, he's not he well, hasn't been involved it's... in any of this. He hasn't had any conversations yeah. with anybody. And he's already figured out 95% of what it's taken Flavia, you know, days to uncover.
1: Well, and it's not just um, genius. Like, she has that spark, like, that, that intellectual capability to reach that level of genius. It's the life experience she's lacking. Yeah. Like, she has, there's so much she's not been exposed to and that she doesn't understand uh, that he – uh, you know, through his long life, his decades more than her can put puzzle pieces together that she doesn't even see the pieces yet in some of the instances.
0: Right. It's, it's that, that quote about the Casanovas, right? Like I know intellectually, I know what I'm supposed to do here, but at the same time, I'm limited by who I am and I can't do that thing. So it's, it's hilarious at, it, as a thing in and of itself, but it also is really uh, illustrates kind of who she is and what makes her so interesting is this this intelligence on the one hand and lack of experience on the other uh, that at, at, at different points in the story, push her forward and hold her back.
1: Yeah. And um, there's this other facet, though, that is so key is and it's something you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the sisters, like she has the patience and the um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, like the the tenacity uh, to, to stick with. These problems, even though she hasn't found the solution yet,
0: yeah, she can play the long game in getting revenge on her sisters, and that also um, allows her to kind of see a broader horizon when she's trying to solve the mystery. Although it's it's well, hilarious that she feels like she's not a get race. beaten down. Oh, yeah, well I said, she doesn't get beaten
1: down, which she makes a mistake. She's like, it's more of the mindset of, well, I've. Yeah, the famous Edison quote that's probably apocryphal (laughs) that, you know, when I failed to invent the light bulb a thousand times, I it wasn't failure, it was finding ways not to invent the light bulb. And as she tries to solve the mystery, time after time, she, like you said, falls for the red herring or gets hits a dead end and has to think uh you know, find a way to gain more information than what she currently has, but she doesn't let that beat her down. She goes and does the work uh to you know, to go and figure it out. Uh, it reminds, in some ways it reminds me of like, um, if you have kids, you've probably heard the parenting advice of like, don't praise them for being smart, like praise them for being hard workers. Yes. Like she's smart, but she does the hard work. <laughs> yeah. cause, cause, cause if, if a child, you know, according to studies, if they're told they're smart over and over, if something's not coming to them instantly, they get frustrated more so right. than if they've been told they can, you know, you're a hard worker, do the hard work.
0: Right. Yeah. What other characters do you like in this story? Um, like, I don't
1: like, like, I wouldn't want to hang out. Like if we we did our dinner party question, I wouldn't want to invite him over, (laughs) but her father is fascinating to me. Uh huh. Um, and the, just the, the, the sad morning (laughs) that Mm -hmm. is his life and the, um, it's, it's not, it's not really an escape, but the way he wallows away from all other human connections after his wife passes. Um, I, I think sometimes we call that an escape, but it, he's not escaping into something better. He's just so sad and so alone and cutting himself off from everyone else that he, he's it isolated. really is, to me, it's it's not escape, it's wallowing is what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and it feels, uh, like, like as I read about it, like the, the, uh, the emotion of it all, like, uh, you know, reading or listening on Audible, like it, you, you feel all of that, mm-hmm. um, in a way that felt, uh, like, 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 just better writing than <laughs> I've seen in a lot of things for a side character, right? Yeah. Like, father isn't really a main character, but like you said, the the story of him going and sitting in his wife's old car, and she, like, Flavia doesn't understand what's going on, but as a reader, we know, yeah. like the yeah. kind of grief that he hasn't worked through.
0: Yes, yeah, he certainly hasn't worked through it. And you, it's a, it's a particularly sad. Kind of sorrow in that he has these three beautiful daughters that he could be living with and and seeing his wife in and see yes exactly and seeing his wife in them and rather than kind of seeing that as a celebration, I think he's terrified of it. I mean, I think he does see his wife in his daughters, but but rather than feeling like it brings her closer to him, it reminds him that she's not there and that makes him sadder and the and the daughters suffer because of it another thing that one of the other characters that I think is really interesting is Ophelia because we see Ophelia through Flavia's eyes and Flavia's 11 and she has a certain kind of mean streak in her (laughs) and Ophelia (laughs) does and Ophelia does too but I feel like I feel like we don't, we're not getting the whole story about Ophelia when we see her only through Flavia's eyes. Um, and I, I'm part of why I'm interested in, in continuing with this series is to see what happens with Flavia and her sisters. Um, but there's this, there's this great thing that happens at the very end when Dogger comes and saves Flavia in the pit and he knocks out Pemberton. Ophelia is with him. And, and Flavia is shocked She's so surprised that Ophelia comes and gives her a big kiss. And it's like, oh, see, these girls really do love each other. And then you realize that, that she's kissed her with the lipstick that was the Poison Ivy <laughs> lipstick. So then Flavia breaks out on her cheek <laughs> from this kiss that her sister's given her. And so it's, it's like, I, I, I believe that part of it is legitimate. I, I really do believe that Ophelia cares for Flavia. And and I think that there's some legitimate, like, I love you, you almost died. That scared the heck out of me. And so I'm going to give you a kiss. But there's also in that, like, and I'm going to kiss you with the dang lipstick that you gave me <laughs> that made my <laughs> that made my lips break out. And it's just that there's like real emotional complexity there uh, that that I I really appreciated. It feels really authentic and and I like that. And
1: like you said, I 100% want to see how all these relationships evolve in future novels. If six of them are out. Um, and I, I haven't done any research at all to find out, like, is there a, a year leap? You know, is there a gap? Or does the next novel pick up, you know, a week after this or anything yeah. like that? Um, but I think I'm interested and I'm, I became invested in those relationships, particularly for me, Flavia and her father. Like, I want that relationship to become yeah. healthier. And what is there? And I feel so bad for all three daughters, who, I do too. like you said, are being harmed by the father's lack of emotional maturity. I want to say about it, yeah. uh, you know, and and how he's responded to horrible things that have happened to him, trauma that has happened to him. I'm not going to minimize what's happened to him, but he's inflicting new trauma on the next generation, and and doesn't even seem aware of it. And I want to see how that how that gets explored in these future novels i do i do not think like there'll be a, a magic wand wave and things will get better <laughs> you know like i hope will be a healthy relationship yeah uh but i could see it like these incremental improvements and more of those moments that flavia longed for of just having an honest conversation with her father that well, we saw the,
0: the, one of the most heartbreaking moments in this in this book is when she finishes that that one beautiful thing that i read about that she she wanted to like in this moment until all the stars blinked out or something then right after that she realizes my dad's not even talking to me he's talking to my mom and this whole conversation that i thought that i just had with my dad really my dad had with my mom and i wasn't even there for him you know like i was invisible to him he thought you know and you're like oh my gosh this is soul crushing it's so so sad but i think one of my favorite characters in the story is the mom and the way that without ever being there she kind of permeates this story and you can see her in flavia and like well you can uh, see especially her in the when, other sisters too yeah i'm thinking of like when she when she rides on gladys and she talks about flight and how she wants to hold out her arms and pretend that she's flying a, a spitfire and this kind of spirit of adventure that Flavia has that she's going to go and figure this out and she's going to ride her bike all around and run away from bad guys and um, kind of like sense of adventure and stick to it. Uh, I feel like is a direct inheritance from her mom, certainly not from her dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. No, he, he, well, we, we see him only in retreat in this
0: novel. <laughs> and the, and the, and the, the thing with Mrs. Mullet and the pies and the, the that Mrs. Mullet is still, is still baking custard pies, even though she knows that the girls hate them because Harriet asked her to do that. Um, it's like she's gone, but she's she's not really gone. And if the dad could just realize that, there could be something really beautiful here. And, and all we see in this first novel is mostly just sadness and, and maybe like a spark of hope that there could be something better.
1: So the connection never really gets made um, explicitly for the reader or listener, but I thought it was really interesting because we, we, we have this tension between, um, Flavia and Ophelia, right? The, right. And, and we're, we see Ophelia through Flavia's eyes as being very shallow and obsessed with her looks. And then when we go, uh, we follow Flavia at one point, she sneaks into her, her mom and dad's old room and she ends up in the mom's bathroom, right? Keep going. Uh, and in there, we, we find out that the mom okay we we've always heard the mom was beautiful but like when we're in the mom's bathroom i think we i got a sense that the mom took time and care in her appearance and like there were I, it's been a while since i did this because we pushed we we pushed the recording back yeah. but i i do like my memory is that there's like fancy combs and makeup and stuff that's still in there I think you're and right. it made me think of ophelia differently like it's not a shallowness necessarily to ophelia to be obsessed with her appearance, she may be mimicking one of the aspects of her mother that she saw. Uh, You know, and I could completely see Ophelia being in the bathroom with her mom, which is something Flavia never had. Like, Flavia doesn't have any of her own memories of her mother Mm -hmm. um, because she was so young. But I could see Ophelia being there with her mom and having her hair done by her mom and seeing her mom do her own hair. And that's something that she's latched onto consciously or unconsciously about her mother that she is emulating in a way that Flavia never had that experience to see. And similarly, a, really a lot point. of the books in the house are, aren't we told are, the, are are Harriet's books, right?
0: Yeah, I think. And I the think
1: other so. sister is is a bookworm, is a reader.
0: I hadn't even thought of that, but that's such a such a great insight.
1: And so I think like these sisters all have aspects of their mother.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, I, and again, I don't I don't think we're told like explicitly like oh they're choosing to emulate this, but the the writing of those relationships is done for me skillfully enough that I see. How each sister is who they are and they're distinct and different, but they're, they're reflections of their mother in a way that haunts their father.
0: And they all hate each other for, for what they, for what they are, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if you could, you just want to go into that house and kind of shake everybody by their collar, by, by their shirt front and say, don't you realize, like, don't you see what I, don't you see what I see here? Uh, but they'll just have to figure it out on their own. Hopefully they will.
1: Yeah, you want them all to get together and say, Let's talk about mom. <laughs> we never do. Let's do that and see if that helps any I of what's know. going on, really? the tension that is permeating this house.
0: Yeah. I mean it's the mom it Dogger comes riding in on in the mom's old Rolls Royce, doesn't he? Yeah,
1: to, yeah, to, to, to very, rescue uh
0: To rescue her? To, She's just to rescue Flavia. The the mother is everywhere in this story from beginning to end.
1: And I really do hope we learn more about the mother and her life and she seems other cool. things. Are there any other characters you want us to talk about, Todd?
0: I I think Dogger is really interesting. He also is just like heartbreakingly sad. <laughs> um Wait, okay, so many times in this
1: discussion, we've talked about the sadness, but I want to make clear to the audience I felt joy listening to I this story. Too. Like like the the tone of the storytelling was happy and peppy, but when we start to talk about it and what's actually happening, there's just, like, a weight of sorrow is is present that I did not feel while well listening to it. It's
0: like, talk about the magic trick, right? Like, you read this whole thing, and it feels like Flavia riding on her bike, and it's just happy and free and fun and funny, and then you sit down and think about what's actually going on. It's like, man, this is sad. And these people are really, these people are all really struggling. Like, Mrs. Mullet may be the most, like, balanced, put-together person in the whole story. And she's (laughs) the one that nobody likes. But I think you're
1: right, (laughs) by the way.
0: (laughs) But Dogger, so Dogger was in the war with uh, Flavia's father. Saved her father's life at at one point, and now he's just like he. he, There's this really sad um, description of how he he used to be like the butler, and then he was the chauffeur, and then he was something else, and then was something, and now he's the gardener. Like her father has kept him on just because he loves him, but he really can't hardly do anything because he falls into these trances he can't remember what he's doing and and just to to see kind of the 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 fingerprints of the war on Flavia's father and then on, on Dogger it's just I mean it's sad it's sad when you sit down and think about it and then it's amazing that the story can be so happy and bright while also Touching on these other things that you don't really think about at the time, it's- it's kind of amazing
1: before we wrap up our discussion, does Flavia change from who we see at the beginning of the novel to who we have at the end
0: of the novel? um that's a really good question <laughs> i I don't nothing like leaps to my mind saying like this is the moment where she realizes x. Or this is the moment right, or where the really matures in grows some way. Up. Yeah. Although I, I do think that at the end, I mean, just by the nature of what she's been through, the conversation with her father, especially Being
1: tied up in thinking she's going to die.
0: Yeah, like I feel like she has changed, but I can't put my finger on any like clear evidence at this point that says that she has
1: like all the characteristics that we talked about those are present throughout her her tenacity her her intelligence so she she gains new experiences and she gains new knowledge but i don't feel like there's like when we talked about wizardiversity like the character at the beginning and end of the novel are different right still, uh you know massive transformation kind of noticeably
0: happen. noticeably the same person but vastly different in their in their outlook on life and their, the way that they, the, the way that they face. Interact with
1: others, yeah. the way they feel about themselves. Right. I don't feel that kind of change happening for Flavia
0: in this novel. Not even close. Yeah. And I wonder, um, part of me wants to think like, maybe it's, maybe this is just kind of a slow burn. And then mm-hmm. if we're going to get 10 books about her, there's plenty of opportunity for change. And it doesn't all have to happen right now. in fact, if if he really is playing the long game with this, and, and talk about patience, right, and patience and poisons, that maybe there's a chance that this is really just the first chapter in a in a really long arc. Maybe something to do with her mother, maybe not. But but I, I can I can imagine a version of this where uh, Flavia's transformation as a character takes place over a longer period of time and then we don't have to have the whole like everything resets with chapter two that we get sometimes in like superhero things
1: Mm -hmm. want to say this is clearly from our discussion more so than i realized even when i was listening to the story this world in which flavia lives is in a lot of ways defined by trauma and she just went through a very traumatic event and the author doesn't shy away from having the impacts of trauma shown, but I also wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, there's a slow burn of like these traumatic incidents in her life, like her life being threatened and tied up and convincing herself she's going to die in any number of different ways when she's in the bottom of the pit. Um, that, you know, rearing its head again in the future in ways that we don't see because the resolution comes, happens so quick after this traumatic event in this novel.
0: Yeah. I, I, I wonder. I mean, she's also clearly not her father's daughter daughter right i mean she is right. but she's not she's right? not like, haunted <laughs> she's uh, it, you know if if she's going to react to trauma the trauma being tied up and you know she's probably going to react her reaction is going to be closer to that of her mother than of her father i don't i don't imagine that it's going to be a retreat i don't imagine that we see a shell-shocked uh flavia mm-hmm. in book two of this uh, in fact but
1: i still want to see some acknowledgement of the traumatic event that happened well, and how is she probably differently than everyone else around her. But
0: like, talk about a traumatic event when she, when she sees the guy die in the garden and everyone's mm-hmm. like, Oh, Flavia, that must've been so traumatic. And outside it, outwardly, she's like, yeah, it was really bad. And inwardly, she's like, that was the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. Like she it's was just scientist so mode. Like she
1: wants to write down all the so observations excited about,
0: like, so excited about, about the loss of life. Yes. About the loss of life. So I, I don't I don't imagine seeing her like really broken up about this, but I do also think that it has to have an impact on her somehow. Yes. She can't. Come yeah, I don't want like her I want to see
1: her deal with it, but I don't want it to be, like you said, a retreat like what her father does. But I do want to I don't want this to just be forgotten. And in the next book, she's a happy go lucky 12 year old.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it how it shakes out.
1: And I I agree. We will see how it shakes out in but, a future <laughs> episode of the Protagonist podcast. And,
0: and the other thing is that I trust this author. Like, I trust Bradley to get it right. And that mm-hmm. I'm not going to read book two and think, oh, man, what a disappointment. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, and, like, our our only real nitpick with the story is about the mechanics of who the bad guy was in a mystery novel, which I think can be a very difficult tightrope to walk Uh, But as far as the characterization, I love it. I love everything about the characters that he built in this world.
0: And if if I'm an editor and I'm going to sit down with a writer and I have on, you know, writer A who writes a mechanically perfect novel with completely boring characters and a clunky prose. And I have writer B who writes incredible, deep, complicated and like characters that bring me joy in a prose prose that's just like poetic and beautiful and hilarious uh i would take i would take b even if the mechanics are not (laughs) all there because you can iron that out you know like that's not a problem
1: and and it i really do think that's um it it sounds weird to say that about a a murder mystery but to me that's a minor quibble
0: (laughs) for this novel i agree (laughs) i mean it, it uh it I can't say that, like, it's a perfect story because it's it's clearly not. Uh, when it's – if I know who the killer is early on, then it's not great because I never know. I can never guess who hey, – Like, who the the,
1: the mystery is how is he the killer and why. That's the mystery, not which one of our suspects is it.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, man, there's so much to love about this and and so much – so many reasons to expect that the rest of the novels in the series would be really good that I'm like totally on board. And I mean, at this
1: point we've talked about a lot of characters. <laughs> <right>? Yeah. <laughs> if we're into triple digits on the number of characters we've had hour long conversations about. And flavor De loose is one of my absolute favorites.
0: I, I absolutely agree. I mean, she just leaps off the page. She's so alive. It's, it's amazing. I mean, I don't I don't know what other like what what kind of stories this is like or what characters we would say she's like. I mean, do you feel like you can draw straight lines?
1: I mean, you want to connect her to Veronica Mars, but there's just a very different feel about Veronica Mars versus Flavio Luz. But because it's a girl, you know, uh, adolescent, you know, child, female detective, you want to make that connection immediately.
0: Yeah, but, Veronica, um, but the- Veronica Mars is all about neo noir, like teenage yeah. angst and the gritty underside of high school life. This is couldn't be more different. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think like there's something in the there's something in the prose that kind of reminds me of The Rook. There's something in the prose that reminds me of like great British authors like Neil Gaiman. Uh, they just know how to turn a phrase, but but it's not the Graveyard Book, although. I mean, maybe in some ways they're kind of
1: there, there is the mix of happiness and and, and really dark, deep things happening.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the graveyard book drama. Is, the graveyard book might be kind of a, a, a kind of cousin to this.
1: And I think I mean we have a similarly aged protagonist, uh huh, um, who is in a similarly you know, like dark events and also dark world all around them. Uh so I, I yeah, I th- I think there's something there. I would not like that's not a connection that leaves to mind until I start to break down
0: some of those elements. I feel like I feel um, like the graveyard book is is the angsty gothic cousin of of Flavia de Luz. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> <laughs> like there's something there that you know they they share some blood, but uh, but tonally they're it's just not it's not the same thing. I don't I just Part of maybe why I love this is because it's just so different from everything that I've read. Uh, and I I loved it. And if you're a chemist, you have to read this book. I think. <laughs> well, I think I I want to say yes, because
1: it feels like good chemistry is being described. But it could be one of those instances where, like, when you really know what's going on, you can't watch the shows that try and reenact what's really going on. So I don't know.
0: I I don't know. I hope.
1: I hope that the chemistry is good and that
0: chemists would like this
1: book. Um, it, it convinced me
0: well, with I was my totally Humanity PhD. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're closer to alchemy than chemistry <laughs> in our field. <laughs> <laughs> um. Any other final thoughts on this?
1: I recommend this. If you have like a book club group, just have them tackle this one. I would say... <laughs> Yeah, Uh it's so like, I love what you just said. Like, it's unlike anything I've read before. And again, like you hear child detective, you might think Nancy Drew, you might think any number of precocious, you know, heroic children roles. This is different from any of those that you've read before. And there is way more emotional depth than I realized until we had this hour long discussion about it. <laughs> Uh, like, I had enjoyed it so much that I don't think I realized how much was going on with her father and and how pervasive Harriet was uh, to the novel in a way that demonstrates some real skillful craft to the way the story is being told. Uh, as far as, like, the emotional craft of telling a story that a reader is going to invest in.
0: I want to say that it's like, it, like, I think of Tintin when I think of this, but it has the emotional depth of something f- way beyond Tintin. But that kind of like happy-go-lucky feeling, there's something of that there. Uh, There's this amazing prose and there's just so many elements of things that I really love, but I've never seen it mixed up in quite this way. (laughs) It's awesome. Great, great story.
1: Yep. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us and for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 59 when we talked about Veronica Mars or episode number 119 when we talked about Scout Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're all also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and we'd love for any of you to come by and say hello anytime. And I love the feedback. Um, Alana Hallett just left a really great comment under our... Um, discussion about, oh, which discussion was it? This is. Uh, yeah, Namona. She, she, uh, left a great comment on Namona that for me was really thought provoking about how Namona lines up in, um, in, uh, like, uh, chaotic evil or, or, you know, chaotic neutral, all these other things. So I love those kinds of comments and please leave them for us there. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss, or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Yeah, I was double-checking a trivia. I was trying to get it done before we started recording, they you're like, let's go, and then I read the intro, and then... I'm a major participant in the podcast. (laughs) You are. (laughs) You are a major participant.